Welcome back to Forest Ed. This is Eli Segor, Extension Specialist at the Cloquet Forestry Center. I'm joined this week by my friend and coworker, Kyle Gill. Welcome, Kyle. Thanks, Eli. But hey, didn't we decide to change the name of the podcast? Oh my goodness, you're right, I forgot. We decided this week to change the name to Camp 8. That's right, Camp 8 is the new title. Remind me, why did we choose that as the new title? Well, I've been doing this work, Kyle, for 20 years at the Cloquet Forestry Center, and right from the beginning, Camp 8 was a place that we've always gathered to talk about forests and forestry. We bring a lot of tour groups there. Because of its history, it gives us a really good window into the ways that people relate to our forests. Oh, yeah, that's right. Maybe you should start back from the top. All right, all right, all right. Here goes. This is Eli Sagor, Extension Specialist at the Cloquet Forestry Center. This week, I'm joined by my friend and coworker Kyle Gill, the Cloquet Forestry Center Forest Manager and Research Coordinator. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, Eli. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me to join. We thought we'd focus this episode on introducing ourselves and talking about what you should expect from the Camp 8 podcast. We'll close this episode with a brief remembrance of Peter Bundy, who was well known to many of our listeners. Kyle, do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? How'd you get into forestry? Well, I learned that I could go to college to study trees and I got hooked. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be a boots on the ground forester because I still had ideas of potentially becoming a teacher. Uh, so I stuck, to broad, stuck with a broad major, environment and natural resources. And on that, I was on a environmental ed track and I did a forestry minor in, in order to make sure I was still learning about uh, the, the discipline of forestry. So when I was an undergrad, I had an opportunity to get involved in forest ecology research. And when I was working with the, con the crew conducting post-cavity and Ham Lake fire severity research, I had a great aha moment of realization that the Boundary Waters was my office. And since then, I've basically been trying to set myself up to have the woods as my office. So in my current position, I get to have both the woods as my office, but then my, my office as my office and balancing the practice of forestry with the exploration of the theory of forestry has, has brought me uh, quite a bit of joy and happiness in my current position. Well, thanks, Kyle. Listeners are going to hear a bit more about me in a few minutes. But first, let's talk a bit about the plan for the podcast. There are a few themes that you'll hear about a lot. First, we're going to focus on being mindful of the changes happening around us. We're going to try to create a space with the podcast for people to reflect on them. Our first episode was an example of that. We wanted to hear from real people living their lives and going about their work in the midst of a rapidly changing work and personal environment driven by the COVID-19 pandemic. I know those voices resonated with a lot of listeners. Sometimes hearing how others are thinking about change can help us to make sense of our own thoughts. Another theme that we're hoping to explore is something about how cultural biases influence how we see the forest and how, we, how that influences how we make decisions about the forest. I'm really interested in cultivating a sense of inquiry, thinking about all of us as important contributors to innovation and solving complex problems. We talk about that a lot with the Great Lakes Silviculture Library, where foresters post and other resource managers post their own kind of experiments and case studies in forest management, the lessons that they learned, and so on. So cultivating that sense of inquiry is going to be a focus for us here too. And speaking of complex problems, the forests that we work with are considered to be complex systems. And I think it's really important for us to approach those complex systems with a, a huge amount of humility. 
um, to understand what we can influence and what we can't influence and also what we can and can't control. So we'll be talking about these themes in two kinds of episodes. I'm planning a series of interview style conversations with researchers, foresters, and leaders in the natural resource management community. We'll see how those episodes evolve, but for now I expect them to run maybe 45 minutes to an hour long. And I'll take the lead on a series titled Five Questions with a Forester. This episode style will try and collect stories and perspectives from across the discipline of forestry. And I'm, I decided to go this direction because as I get further into my career, I realize how much value there is to learning from each other and the, under, the importance of understanding the past in order to make sense out of the present as well as to set appropriate goals for the future. I've learned that the term forester can vary widely depending on who you are and who you might be talking to. So in five questions with a forester, I'll be attempting to learn more about how young, middle and older aged foresters are viewing themselves, the profession, while collecting stories and snapshots of how the profession is implemented at various levels across the discipline. Kyle, you came up with the five questions with a forester concept. I know that for the past several months, you've been organizing foresters FICA gatherings with people from around Northeast Minnesota. Did the five questions concept come out of those meetings or was it something you had in mind before that? The five questions with the forester and forester's fika didn't necessarily stem directly from each other, but they're related to each other very much so. So I think as humans, we crave connection with each other. Even foresters do need to be in touch with other people at times. Um, so even though we may think we want to be in the woods by ourselves, it's important to connect and learn and share with each other. Um, so as I've been a member of SAF, our professional society, I've recognized that Sometimes we just need an excuse to get together so that we can learn from each other. So the, the five questions of the forester idea is rooted in forming connections and getting to know each other, but other than, rather than being able to sit down and have coffee with each other, we'll do it through an interview format. So why do you like the five questions? Why not just sit down and have a conversation? Well, I think there's a lot of beauty and simplicity in working from within certain constraints. I found that as a forester, as I approach a prescription, sometimes when I have all of the options available to me, it's, it's a little bit tough to get started. So I thought for an interview uh, series, it would be nice to have the same questions so I don't have to think about all those questions every single time, but have those be the basis of the interview that I have with people and learn about how they view the, the discipline of forestry. So what kinds of people do you plan to talk to? Like I said before, I, I uh, want to explore the wide range of the discipline of forestry from a variety of angles. So I want to talk to people who are boots on the ground foresters, maybe people that are involved in forest education like you, Eli, uh, or even people that are involved more on the economic side of things um, that would maybe not necessarily consider th themselves a forester, but are definitely working in the field of forestry. So as we were developing this idea, we thought it would be interesting to have you, Eli, as the first interview. So we recorded this interview, the first episode of Five Questions with the Forester last week, and I started with the question, who are you, who do you work for as a forester, Eli? Hey, I'm Eli Sagor. I'm an extension specialist uh, with the U of M based at the Cloquet Forestry Center. And I know the series is focused on foresters and I'm not one of them. But I, uh, I really enjoy um, spending a lot of time with foresters and also spending a lot of time with academics. I think 
that I, I sometimes think I have the best job in the university because I get to spend half my time, you know, in Green Hall, uh, surrounded by PhDs and people who spend their lives, both students and uh, faculty who spend their, who have dedicated their lives to asking and answering really complex and interesting questions uh, that can help to improve our world. And I get to spend the other half of my time kind of out in the woods in Cloquet and around there talking to practitioners, people whose job is to get things done in a, in a different kind of way in the real world. And, and, um, and I just really enjoy the, the mix of perspectives and views and experiences that comes from uh, working with those different kinds of people. So you mentioned that you're not really a forester, but you're part of the Society of American Foresters. So you fall within a definition of a forester to some extent. So what for you, what does it mean to be a forester and what inspired you to follow this career path that you're on? Well, that's a good question. And to me, it's pretty straightforward. A forester is a person who manages forest ecosystems in my mind. And I just don't do that. I'm an educator. Uh, I went through, so my undergraduate degree was in biology with a focus on kind of ecology and evolution. After that, I knew I wanted to work outside. I didn't want to work at a lab where a lot of my friends were sort of lining up to go. Um, and uh, forestry gave me the opportunity to, um, you know, forestry seemed to me like a good field that, that mixed those interests, that was applied and hands-on, outside, and so on. So I went for a master's um, uh, and during my master's, I was thinking, well, I'll work for some kind of an organization that'll put me to work managing forests. That was what I wanted to do. But the program I did was focused, um, you know, I did as kind of technical a forestry program as I could do, but uh, it was much, it had more of a focus. Uh, it was a master's, it more of a focus on um, sort of communication, um, uh, and related things. And uh, so when I graduated with my master's, I started a little before I graduated, I saw this extension job. Uh, and I thought, you know, that just sounds perfect. I, I really enjoy, um, as I just said, I enjoy being around different kinds of people. I enjoy asking and answering questions. I enjoy trying to solve problems and helping people solve problems. And um, so although I still felt drawn to working more directly in the woods, um, I thought, hey, I'll give this a try for a little while. And that was 20 years ago now. I just had my 20th anniversary with the university. Um, so I, I um, feel that in, you know, I can speak the language and, and I, I have some understanding of what it's like to be a forester, but my perspective's a little bit different. So we'll call you a forest educator, forester. So right. what does, uh, what is being a forest educator for you look like on a daily or seasonal basis? Um, what does it look like for me? Well, um, my job really now is to manage the Sustainable Forest Education Cooperative and, and SFEC is uh, based at the Cloquet Forestry Center, based at the University of Minnesota. I work for the U. Uh, my job is to work with our 47 member organizations to um, identify the professional development and continuing education needs of Minnesota's natural resource managers and then to develop and deliver programs that meet those needs. And um, so on a day-to-day -day basis, that involves talking to SFEC member representatives, people from wooden, product, uh, wooden paper uh, product companies, um, tribal natural resource agencies, state agencies, soil and water conservation districts, county land departments, and all sorts of others um, about those needs. Um, 
when we identify a topic need, it's thinking about, you know, how best to, to meet that need through, is it a symposium, which might be a large gathering with a lot of presentations? Is it a series of field days? Is it a multi-day, um, you know, short course? Is it a webinar? Uh, is it something else? Um, we, we do, some of our classes are two week, you know, residential classes based at the forestry center. So depending on that need and all the, you know, budgetary and other considerations, I try to put those things together in ways that um, are going to be appealing to the resource managers who we hope will attend and participate in those programs. Um, and, and to provide an effective and, and meaningful and memorable educational experience. So, um, you know, it's visiting field sites, you know, what's the best kind of site to illustrate this concept and who's the best kind of person to tell the story to help people understand, um, you know, what they tried here and, and, and did it work and, and, and what can we learn from this site. Uh, and then I spend a fair number of days, you know, running those programs and those are real highlights for me. I mean, those are days when I'm out with a group of interesting people Generally, the people who come to our programs are motivated. They want to be there. Uh, some are there because they need continuing ed credits, but um, there are free sources of continuing ed credits, and I've never been inclined to compete on price. We've, we've always tried to compete by offering the best quality learning opportunities. And, and so generally, um, as I said, people tend to want to be there and to be genuinely interested in the topic. And that just makes for an interesting dynamic. Sometimes I'm at the front of the room delivering a slideshow. Um, more often I will start the session and then I'll serve as kind of a, uh, I don't know uh, what to call it, in some sort of a role where I ask more questions than I answer. I think I'm better at kind of interpreting or drawing out people's stories than, um, you know, always telling the story myself, although, um, I'm a good talker. All right. I, I like, I talk too much too. I don't know what's the right way to say that. Um, uh, so it's a real mix of different activities, sometimes being up in front of a room, sometimes um, doing much more mundane work, like, uh, you know, budgets and spreadsheets and things. And sometimes working with a whole wide range of people to figure out the best way to communicate a, a really interesting and complicated idea. So you're not necessarily the on the ground forester that's writing prescriptions, but I consider what you do as writing prescriptions for programs in yeah. a way. So what would you say is your favorite program that you've either developed uh, or implemented and why it was your favorite? Oh, there or most so memorable. Many. It doesn't have to yeah. be favorite. It could be most memorable. Think back that's, on your that's a really interesting question, and I'd have to think a little bit uh, before answering it. So, what's your, the first one that comes to mind? Well, I'll, I'll cast around a little bit, and I'll, I'll get to an answer. So, the you know the different ones are good for different reasons. So, this one we just did uh, a couple months ago in January of uh, this year, 2020, was a two-day symposium on fire in Minnesota's ecosystems, and. I mean, it was just really exciting. We had 150 people there. We had people in you know, two different rooms because we couldn't fit them all in the Cloquet Forestry Center Auditorium. We tried some different things that worked very well in terms of um, digital communications during that live event. We had, a, I mean, just a fantastic group of speakers um, who communicated very well. And there was a lot of interest in the topic and it was just an exciting event. And I think what made it so exciting was just the energy in the room, the, the people there, the different, the mix of people. We had some really interesting questions and comments about, uh, you know, tribal historic uh, perspectives and practices related to fire and how those relate to today. 
uh, got pretty deep into some of the ecology underlying these systems and the role of fire. And so that was, you know, one favorite event. Um, I think mainly because of that energy and the quality of the speakers and the quality of the audience. Another one that comes immediately to mind, we do every summer, which is the National Advanced Silviculture Program. And related to that, I think, is our, our own ecosystem silviculture um, short course. So NASP, the National Advanced Silviculture Program, that's a national program where we bring 35 or 40 people uh, within the, the US Forest Service National Forest System together to cloquet and spend two weeks really going deep on ecological systems in the context of silviculture and forest management. Ecosystem silviculture is a course we offer basically to people from Minnesota. It's over a several month period and we gather for eight instructional days during that period. And the, part of the reasons I like both of those, one, there's a lot of field time. So we're out in the woods talking about things. They involve really diverse groups of people. So some people, um, in the case of NASP, you know, people from both coasts and, you know, high desert, intermountain west, uh, you know, northeastern forests, southern coastal sandy plain, and I mean, all sorts of things. And the conversations that happen there reflecting the different silviculture and forest management approaches are just really, really cool. Um, ecosystem silviculture is a little bit different, but in both of those cases, we get people who get to know, we have a chance to get to know each other really well over multiple days. There's a little bit of social time in there, which is kind of fun, you know, standing around a campfire and, and, and chatting at the end of a long instructional day. Um, things like that. I mean, that those, those kinds of days are kind of favorites, I think, in other ways. And, and there are others too. I, I mean, I, again, so, I feel like so I- So tell me, so, yeah, uh, so think back to those three programs and the various years that you've uh, implemented those programs. And what's the first memorable moment that comes to mind? Yeah, the, well, the Shawamigan Nicolay field trip, I'll say that. It's like a 15-hour day okay. over to Which Northern year? Wisconsin. Or is there one year that's more memorable? Than uh, the first, probably the first time we did it because uh, it was what pretty year would new that to me. Uh, that would have been three years ago. Uh, four, four, 2017? four years ago. 2016, maybe? Okay. So uh, 2015, somewhere in there. So what made it so memorable? Uh, good hosts, unbelievable diversity. I mean, we start the day, well, we start the day inside at the Great Lakes Visitor Center, which is a fantastic facility. We're only there for about 20 minutes. We go out to a Barrens, Jack Pine Barrens landscape. I mean, the driest, most nutrient poor landscape, I, I think, that we have anywhere around here. Just a very, um, really interesting, um, Spartan sort of ecosystem. Except for rocky outcrops. Yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Goat prairies. I don't know. Maybe those are even, I, I don't know. But, uh, and then, and we end the day uh, in this super rich music, Northern Hardwood site, you know, an hour or two away. And we see everything in between. We go to Oak, uh, sort of relatively dry Oak Shelterwood sites. We go to uh, red pine plantations, uh, uh, recently harvested sites and other, uh, other plant communities. And, and, um, I just love the diversity. And again, coming into that event with people from all over the country who are used to dealing, all, you know, managing all different kinds of forests. Um, there's just a lot of good conversation. There's also, you know, the time in the van because we drive a lot. Uh, gives a lot of time for reflection and for people to ask questions. And, and sometimes you get questions in those a little bit quieter, more personal settings that people don't want to ask in front of 40 other people. 
And so it just, it makes for, and, and that day, you know, follows several other instructional days where we're getting to know each other and it, and it precedes several others. And so questions come up reflecting some of those other days. Um, and we spend a lot of that day in the woods and we end the day at a resort um, where everyone except the drivers has a beer and sits by the lake and, uh, you know, it's really very nice. So, you know, it, it, it combines a lot of different things with an interesting group of people and a lot of time in the woods and that makes for a good day. Yeah. So what do you feel like have been your bi biggest successes or challenges during your career as a forester or forest educator? Uh, successes, I don't know. I, I really like to try new things. I enjoy, um, you know, there, there are people who like to do kind of professional development by going to classes and maybe ironically enough, given my job, that's not really me. I like to try things and learn things by just doing things. Um, and, you know, the Forest Ed podcast is a good example of that. Um, uh, and, and there are a lot of other things that, you know, for that fire event, we used a brand new mobile Q&A system. Um, and that was new. No one well, I shouldn't say no one had ever done it. We'd never used it in an SFEC program. Uh, I, had, I had been to conferences that had used systems like that. And the difference was that everyone would, you know, with 150 people in two rooms, it wouldn't work well to just raise your hand. And what we were able to do was to use this really simple online system to have people use their mobile phone or laptop or whatever to type a question in. And then everyone else could see those questions. They could vote them up. They could reply to them, um, and it worked really, really well. I mean, we had um, we had two hundred over two hundred questions asked during that two day session, um, which is far more than we ever could have, you know, managed during just a live raise your hand Q and A. Uh, it allowed us to filter those questions a little bit um, and make sure that we were only discussing the ones that were of the greatest interest. Some of those questions were asked anonymously, which we intentionally allowed with the system we used. And that um, encouraged people or enabled people to ask some questions that honestly were pretty provocative that maybe they would not have asked before. We didn't have any kind of offensive questions or anything like that, but it took us into some terrain that we might not have gone into otherwise because people maybe felt um, a little more comfortable asking a difficult question because they could do it anonymously. Um, and it gave, you know, again, it gave everyone else a chance to see, well, what are the other, what are the topics people are asking about and to cast their vote to, you know, knock something higher up a list to make sure that it got discussed with the whole group. Um, and, you know, some of those successes, you know, trying new things, really trying to move forward as we deliver programs. There are some things we do that are basically the same as we've done for the last 20 years. A lot of our field days haven't changed much. Um, but I really like um, innovating a little bit and, um, and seeing what we can achieve. Great. Well, thanks so much, Eli, for being a leader in Minnesota's forestry community and for uh, taking your time to spend it with me and to be our first participant in Five Questions with a Forester. Thanks. Hey, my pleasure. This was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much again, Eli, for being the first to subject yourself to my five questions with a forester. I think that gives the listeners a pretty good sense of what these style of episodes will sound like. Well, it was a lot of fun, Kyle. Uh, it's really good to have you as part of Camp Aid, and I look forward to working together. Yeah, thanks again so much for inviting me to join you in this podcast series. I'm, looking for, I'm also looking forward to joining you on this adventure. So that brings us to the end of our first Five Questions with a Forester episode of Camp 8. 
our goal moving forward is to produce episodes every two weeks, roughly alternating between the five questions format and the longer interviews. We may deviate from that a bit, but that's the plan. Do you have any closing thoughts, Eli? Yeah, just that if you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate it if listeners would subscribe, rate the podcast, and tell a few friends about it. We're still building a new audience, and we'd appreciate the help. But other than that, thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Camp 8 is produced by the Sustainable Forest Education Cooperative and supported by the University of Minnesota College of Food, Agricultural, and Natural Resources Sciences, the University of Minnesota Extension, and the Cloquet Forestry Center. Thanks for tuning in and keep in touch. This week we learned of the passing of Peter Bundy. I wanna close this episode with brief remembrances of Peter from a few of his friends. Peter was a consulting forester dedicated to sound silviculture, particularly oak silviculture. As a former filmmaker and author of three books about forestry, Peter was a thoughtful person, vocal in his opinions, who pushed those around him to do better. Peter viewed forestry as a calling and he was committed to moving our community forward. I'm Klaus Putman and I was a faculty member in Minnesota during the 90s. And my favorite memory of Peter is walking through his woods right after that windstorm, that big one. And he really surprised me how relaxed he was viewing that situation. He didn't really have this disaster concern attitude, but he saw the windstorm as an experience from which he can learn and from which he can build his future interest and expertise on that. I hadn't expected that. That was really surprising to me. My other favorite memory is discussing with him where one would place his book, you know, Finding the Forest, where one would place it in a bookstore. Which section would it be in? It's clear it wasn't in a typical forest textbook section. It wouldn't be an autobiography. So it didn't really, wouldn't really fit in any section as well. Now specifically, I still wonder about that sometime, but we discussed which section was the Sand County Almanac in when it, when it first came out before it became a famous book on that. So I still think about our discussions and remember them fondly. This is Fred Clark, the senior forester with the Forest Stewards Guild. And I wanted to uh, share some memories and reflections on Peter Bundy and his work. We were all saddened uh, by the news about Peter's passing. And I'm thinking back to the 20 years that I've known Peter as a member of the Forest Stewards Guild. Peter and I, and, and Many of us shared a sensibility about forests and our role in contributing to a healthy society and conservation. Uh, but I think better than most any natural resource professional I've known, Peter had an ability to uh, bring together both the science and the technical skills re required to be a successful manager long for long term. Um, sustainability, uh, but he was able to meld that work with a sense of the history and the culture and the poetry around forests and, and their role for society and all of us in the world who benefit from uh, the things forests provide. He really was a rare individual in his ability to understand those different points of view uh, that 
so many people bring to this complex resource. And so I, I, I learned a lot from working with Peter. I really enjoyed collaborating with him and his contributions to the Guild have been significant and he will be missed. Uh, but I look forward in the weeks and months ahead to remembering Peter and recognizing his work. And uh, for Peter and your family um, and all of your loved ones, we're thinking of you. Hi, Eli, and thanks for the invitation to uh, provide some comments on you know the legacy of Peter Bundy and uh, what he's meant for me in, in my forestry career and what I think he's meant for Minnesota and even beyond Minnesota with his forestry leadership. Uh, for those that don't know me, I'm Katie Fernals. I'm president and CEO of Dovetail Partners, an environmental think tank in Minneapolis, and I had the great honor of knowing Peter uh, more than 20 years, and he influenced my forestry career uh, pretty much from day one. And when I think about Peter, I do think about his leadership, uh, and I think about how he was a leader both formally and informally. I mean, he engaged in the formal uh, professional leadership opportunities like SAF, the Society of American Foresters, being state chair, mentoring other leaders to become involved in professional organizations, all of those formal ways of being a leader within uh, forestry and within your profession. But he also was very grassroots, involved in community-based leadership, working with landowners, cooperative development, community-scale leadership as well. Uh, so he really illustrated how you can work formally and informally to be a leader in different levels. Peter was also always generous with his ideas, uh, sharing his ideas, giving away his ideas so others might embrace them and see them grow. He was always seeking connections with other foresters to learn and exchange information, uh, really illustrating collaborative leadership. Uh, years before that kind of became the buzzword, he was always a collaborative leader, generous in his sharing. I also would say that Peter embodied what we often talk about in forestry as that combination of art and science. Peter came to forestry after a career doing other things, very art-related with film, and, um, and so he embodied art and science within forestry. That combination of art and science uh, really always impressed me about Peter Bundy, that he did come from a background in film and, and being an artist. And he brought that thinking, that creative thinking to forestry. And he always embraced the science side of forestry. The, I mean, data collection and field work. I always, I always think of the innovative research approach that Peter applied to forestry. Um, for me, one of the things I remember uh, early, in the early days when I was getting to know Peter is right out of college, I, I did a lot with GIS stuff early in my career and GIS digital mapping and this whole kind of thing. And doing stewardship plans for landowners and coming up with high-tech ways to do the maps. And my recollection is that Peter was doing maps for his landowners and for his management plans with colored pencils. And I just remember looking at his maps, his hand-drawn maps, hand-colored maps, and how elegant they were. And, um, and for me and all my interest in digital technology, I said, you know, those are really impressive, beautiful maps. And it's it reminded me always that Peter at heart is an artist as, as much as a scientist. So for me, Peter Bundy, uh, he'd be missed. I mean, it's hard to replace somebody who pushed us all to be better and to think harder and imagine more for our forest. Uh, but his legacy is, is not gone. He's not forgotten uh, and touched not just me, but many people in Minnesota and well beyond Minnesota through his leadership in practice and his, in his books. He, his books are there for all of us 
to understand uh, what he was offering to the practice of forestry. So I'm grateful to have known Peter, and I invite other people to pick up his books and get to know his work. Thank you. Hi, this is Xander Evans from the Forest Stewards Guild, and I'm leaving a message um, with a remembrance of Peter Bundy. Uh, Peter was always a, a big influence on my thinking. I always looked forward to seeing him at guild gatherings, particularly in the, the Lake State, the Duluth, or, or Wisconsin. And his insights uh, often made me, made me go back to the drawing board and think again, uh, whether it was about silviculture or, or how we conceive of ecological forestry more generally. Uh, and I saw that come through in his writing. I, I loved reading his books because it was like talking to him and, and getting those insights. I'll miss him greatly. My name is Tom Kroll, and I'm especially saddened by the loss of a, a good colleague and a good friend, Peter Bundy. Peter Bundy was always a quiet, uh, yet joyful personage, a gift to any room he walked into. I always look forward to seeing Peter at conventions, weather forestry conventions, conservation conventions in general. He was always happy to see an old friend, and he was also just as eager to meet a young student who might be looking for advice. Peter uh, gave thoughtful presentations, and he had a really a special passion for oak trees and the regeneration of oak. He was a great listener, and he was always looking for something uh, new to learn. Uh, a lot of foresters, sometimes myself, want to uh, get a forest regenerated and then move on to the next forest. And I remember I was in a woods once with Peter and, and uh, we were talking about oak regeneration. He reminded me to, to be patient, uh, that it takes a lot of patience to grow oak. And it's not just something you can do in a year or even five years. Maybe up to 30 years to get a full crop of oak ready to come on again. Of course, for Peter, that wasn't hard. He was, I think, was born kind of a patient person. I certainly had that way about him. But I recall that as something very useful and helpful that he passed on to me. Peter also had an artistic side that showed through in most everything he did, from the books he wrote to the way he marked timber. Forestry is sometimes defined as the art and science of managing forests. Peter always been remembered for how well he understood and implemented both the art and the science of his profession for the forest that he loved. Hi, this is Greg Nolan. I'm calling to talk a little bit about Peter Bundy. He was a good friend of ours. We're very sorry to hear that he's gone. We worked with him almost every year on his property near Edson Lakes. And he was, uh, he was really easy to work with. He really respected our labor, paid us well. He acted like an uncle around our kids. He was always ready to give advice to them or, or us about what we could do to make life better in the future. Um, Peter spoke truth to power more than once. He was a conscientious objector during the Vietnam War while his uncle, George Bundy, served as a national security advisor. Um, that must have brought up some interesting conversations around the dinner table. Peter thought things through. He was a big picture kind of guy. He had a way of looking at life, seeing systems, and potential for improvement. He was uh, an innovator. He always had a project going, which always led to other projects. 
we will miss Peter. He was a free man that followed his own path. He was a critical, independent thinker. Adios, amigos. Peter, rest in peace. Hi, Eli. This is Steve Olson again. That got too long. So I'm going to try and shorten this up. And uh, basically, I, I enjoyed working with Peter Bundy. He helped us on two management plans. One is our first integrated resource management plan completed in 2008, and then an update that was completed in 2018. And uh, prior to that, I had heard of Peter's name throughout the forestry committee community, but I had not had a chance to meet him, and we hit it off right away. Our uh, forestry philosophies seemed to mesh, and uh, and uh, he, he enjoyed hearing about what we were doing at Fondalot Forestry. I think he was a little envious that we were able to use fire to meet our civil cultural objectives. Uh, I retired in 2018, and I continued with uh, my forestry career writing stewardship plans. I found I find this rewarding. In January 2020, I received an inquiry from a friend of Peter's for a stewardship plan on a family property nearby me. When we got together to work on goals and objectives, I asked the client how they knew Peter, and they had known Peter back in his filmmaking years. And I thought to myself, filmmaker? Who'd have guessed? But I knew forestry had become his passion. His book writing is centered on forestry. His latest work, Fall 2019, in that to Fundamentals of Restoration Forestry illustrates that passion. We will miss you, Peter. Hi. Peter Bundy, my good friend and a great friend of Minnesota Forest, recently passed away. I could say a lot of things about my friend, but his biggest influence on me was his big picture approach to forests. Peter understood that economic, ecological, and social values associated with forests are equally important. He took the time to understand the different perspectives associated with these values that often resulted in conflict. His books reflected that balanced outlook. Peter was viewed at times as a bit of a contrarian because of this. I've observed him argue for ecological values amidst a group of timber interests and vigorously defend economic values to environmental activists. I discovered that it wasn't so much that he enjoyed arguing, but that he understood other perspectives and wanted to speak for the voices that were not being heard. I also learned that this approach allowed for discovering common ground, which is a big step in enabling collaboration among different interests. Peter will be missed by me and the larger natural resources community, but his spirit of understanding and collaboration can live on if we choose to put our personal ideologies aside and put the forest first. That would be a lasting legacy for Peter Bundy. Mark Jacobs, retired Aiken County Land Commissioner.